So what do you believe about the Bible? And do you know your bibliology well? That's what we're talking about today, Thea. We're in a series called Theology 101. And our very first systematic theology we're going to dig into is bibliology, the study of the Bible. I'm Ben, and I'm here with our producer, Josh, and we're recording uh, another episode here at Life Talks. Dan, who's normally here, he's on a missions trip in Zimbabwe. Make sure you pray for him once you hear this. Um, but but uh, Josh... Do you remember the the old song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me? Yes. I stand alone now on the word of God. It's going to be in my head for all day. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, you know, the, the Bible is, here's one of the things that I know that most people come to when it comes to theology is everyone has their source of authority. Hmm. Everyone does. And I remember having a conversation with someone who was, kind of debating to me, you know, why does God send gay people to hell? I'm like, God doesn't send gay people to hell. He sends sinners to hell. And I'm trying to have this conversation with him, but he couldn't get off. Like that was his, that was his go-to line, right? Yeah. yeah. And I finally got him away from this and just asked him a simple question. What's your authority in life? Hmm. Because I said, I'm not, I, the standard I believe about this one issue is, because of what God's word says. There's an authority I have in my life and it informs everything I believe. And if you're a Muslim, it's, it should be the Quran. Right. If you're, you know, it, depending on your 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 uh, religion, it's going to be based on your holy book, Book of Mormon, yep. right? So, but when we ask that question, invariably people are like, oh, well, it's a circular argument. You know, because we're going to be studying the word of God here, but basically using God's word to, to show that it's God's word. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is, and I, I learned this from Wayne Grudem. I mentioned his systematic theology book. He uh, he said every argument for authority is a circular argument. Hmm. And I'll, I'll I'll let you think about that. I know you're a yeah, thinker, I'm Josh. That one. <laughs> Keep going. But but everyone's a. Th- Everyone's argument for authority is a circular argument at some level. And so what it does require at, for, for us is to, at some point, take a leap of faith and trust that the Bible is what it says it is. There's a lot of, we're not, I'm not here to do a lot of apologetic work on the reliability of the Bible. I, I can, I will dabble in that a little bit, but what it comes down to is, at some point, you every person has an authority that you're going to build your life upon. It's either going to be your own opinion, it's going to be uh, a church, it's going to be um, a theological statement, it, it could be um, uh, culture, what culture believes, or you have something like the Bible, which is a timeless book that we believe has been written by God and that we're going to base our life and our practice on. So... When it, we think about bibliology, there are six major doctrinal positions that every Christian really needs to understand. Um, and the first one is this. Number one, the revelation of God's word. That, that revelation that God is God makes himself known to people through his word about himself. That people, we we have the ability to know who God is and what God wants through this idea of revelation. Um, and there in the word of God, there are two different kinds of revelation. There is 
natural or general revelation, and then there's special revelation. Uh, natural revelation is this belief that people can look at nature, creation, and providential experiences and recognize there is a God. There is some kind of all-powerful good deity out there. Yeah. That's natural theology. And scripture references Psalm 19.1 and Romans 1, 19 through 20 are verses that back up this idea of general revelation, that people can look at creation, look at providential acts and see that there's a God in heaven. But really, when we think about revelation, typically we think of special revelation. Special revelation is God's specific revelation of himself to individuals through unique means like visions, dreams, the word of God, miracles, gifts, and ultimately the incarnation of Jesus. These are all things that show God doing a special work of revelation showing this is who I am. So when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai and God comes down and speaks to Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments, that's an act of special revelation. Um, we believe that the Bible is an act of special revelation, that God, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this in just a moment, that the that we believe the Bible was given to humanity from God. He used people to write the things down he wanted to, but it was a its origin source is from God. And then Jesus is an act of revelation. I, I love this passage in Hebrews 1, where it says, Long ago, Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I love that because really Jesus is the ultimate revelation. There's a reason why Jesus is called the Word the word incarnate, that the very nature of the written word in the person of Jesus, there is no discrepancy. They're, they're like Jesus is the fulfillment of the written word. And so um, that the first word and, and, and other verses that talk about special revelation um, are, you know, Galatians 1 verses 11 through 12, John 1, 1 through 14, 2 Peter 1 verses 19 through 21. So that's the first category, revelation. Number two, inspiration of God's word. The inspiration of God's word is the idea that uh, inspired, where we get the word inspired, really comes from um, first or 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, all scripture is God-breathed. That word God-breathed mm -hmm. is this idea of inspired, that the very words of God came from God himself. God is the origin of these things. People will talk about things like, uh, another term would be called verbal plenary inspiration. That means that all the words combined, plenary, and a verbal, each word is God-breathed. And so we believe that the, in the original inspiration, uh, we believe in the, the inspiration of the original autographs. When we say original autographs, it means the actual writing down of when the Spirit of God moved in people's hearts uh, to write down scripture. That is inspired. So when you hear someone say the King James Bible is inspired, they're lying. Hmm. Okay. And there's no such thing as a translation that can be re-inspired. It's only the original autographs that we say are inspired. Um, great verses that talk about this, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, 
John 10.35, and of course, I just mentioned 2 Timothy 3.16. And another great passage, 2 Peter 1.21, where it talks about that holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't believe that it was exactly dictation, because if it was dictation, he would have said it. God still used the personality, the experiences of individuals to write down what he wanted. They were moved along by the Holy Spirit. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit, but, but he still used the personality, the giftedness, the the even the verbal, um, uh, the writing abilities. There's certain there's certain books of the Bible that are very they're not really refined. It's kind of a rough, uh, rough letter. It, it's it, you know I've always heard this about Second Peter. It's just not really well written. Okay. But you kind of expect that. You kind of expect Yeah. But but then when you compare the Greek of Second Peter to the Greek of Luke and Acts, Luke was this physician. He was educated. Yeah. It's a very it's a much more refined Greek that was used in that. Well, you, it's amazing how God uses all these different kinds of people, from farmers to generals to prophets to kings to, you know, all the the breadth of human experience over fifteen hundred years. Um three different languages to come up with one one unified story and that was that's a work of his inspiration so that's number 2 number 3 inerrancy um inerrancy is this belief that scripture is without error in areas such as doctrine science history origins etc so that we believe that inerrancy is a really heavy word um that believes that the word of god contains no errors in it uh you know, this we base this off of the idea that God cannot lie. The word of if we're gonna say that the Bible is the word of God, and it says in Titus 1 2, Hebrews 6 18, that it's impossible for God to lie, that means everything's in here is true. Now there's a there's a lesser theological perspective that that believes in things like infallibility. Infallibility is the belief that that the word of God is reli- is reliable and it's trustworthy. But it does not necessarily mean that there are no errors in it. So sometimes you will see people say, when you see doctrinal statements that talk about, we believe in the inspiration of scripture. That's great. But I believe really the strongest, the strongest statement that believes in the the true genuineness of God's word is inerrancy. And again, we're saying the original autographs that went people wrote down. Now we don't have them anymore. Um we don't have the original autographs anymore. And I think the reason why we don't have them is because I think people would worship them mm. if we had them. I, I mean, I actually think it's one of the things God did to take them away. But but a couple of things, when we say inerrancy, um, these are, it, we got to be really careful when we say that, what do we mean by inerrancy? Now, for example, I've heard this, some arguments against inerrancy. Well, it gives these round numbers at times. When someone gives round numbers, when the Bible says, you know, 8,000 people were killed, okay, it it probably most likely does not mean that there were 8,000 exactly that were killed or that they were, you know, specifically to the number. No, they, a lot of times they use generalized generalization numbers. Like, for example, if I if you and I were talking, I'm like, you know, how how far away do you live from Harris Teeter? And you're like, I live about I live about about a mile. And I go to, and I drive and I set the odometer, and I'm like, you lie to me. You're one point three one miles. Right. Why didn't you say one point three one one miles? Uh-huh. You'd be like, dude, it's about a mile. You care a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
the biblical authors were not, when we say inerrancy, they were not looking at that kind of specificity of detail. That wasn't important to them. Yeah. So when it says, you know, 10,000 people died, it could be 9,738. Yep. It could be 10,561. I don't know. Yeah. But is, you know, so that's when we say inerrancy, understand that we're not talking my, the other thing that people say was it, when the gospels, sometimes people say certain things differently. Well, yeah, because Again, inerrancy is not looking at the specificity of exactly what was said, but the ideas of what were said. And so mm. when we when we understand that's what the biblical authors did and that's what they mean, we can have confidence that, okay, well, it says in this passage that Peter said this, and in this passage it says this. Well, what does he mean? Well, there's no discrepancy between the two because the major idea of what was said is the same thing. Right. So when we say inerrancy, we, we say that there's no um, that that many times the biblical authors, especially in recording historical details, wrote down things ge- generally. Use they use generalizations for these kinds of things. Um, but we believe at this church that the Bible is without errors; that it doesn't contain errors. If there anything that we that says that does contain errors has to do with um, word order or omission, you know, omission of words, and these are in the the manuscripts that we have post the the original autographs. But we know um, that we have the Word of God, and and that and that leads me to the fourth or the fourth idea, and that is the preservation of God's Word. We know that we still have we that the the original inerrant and inspired autographs that that were written by the biblical authors, we know we have a preserved word from them because we we know this because we have a plethora, we have five plus 5,000 manuscripts in the Greek. We have 10,000 plus uh, translations from early, early on. Uh, even the Old Testament, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, it's really interesting, Josh, when you study the the um, the science of textual criticism, and this is kind of a this is a, it's a, both an art and a science. But it's the idea of what does the Bible really say when you have all these manuscripts, and doesn't mean that they're all identical. But you know, some pass some manuscripts might say Jesus Christ, and some people some manuscripts might just say Jesus. Well, it doesn't mean, um, or it might say Lord Jesus Christ. The main idea is always going to be there. Yeah. Okay, so, so we we can trust that we have a preserved word of God uh, for us today. There is a complex science of textual criticism that we can determine what did the original text say. In in prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found I think the earliest Hebrew manuscripts we had were like thousand A.D. They weren't very early. Yeah. Okay. But when you when we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the things, and I, I remember doing a, a study on this, they found a complete scroll of Isaiah hmm. in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a thousand years earlier than what they had in the in the in the what the Masoretes used to really pass down the Word of God in the ancient um, Jewish culture, and when they compared the 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 Book of Isaiah to the book of Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was almost identical. We can have faith that through, number one, the work of God and the people that love the word of God to preserve the word of God, 
we don't have to worry that, oh man, it's been corrupted by man and uh, people have written in different ideas. A lot of times you'll hear different people attack the word of God by that, but there's never been additions or edits to the original autographs that we, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that. We have enough manuscripts to know if someone tried to pull a fast one to, you know, put something in, Mm -hmm. they weren't going to do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So that's the fourth idea. The fifth idea is canonicity, the canonicity of God's word. Canonicity refers to the standard by which the books were measured to determine whether or not they were inspired. So we get this word from the Greek word canon, which, um, okay, so in, in just regular modern day terms, a canon would be like a measuring tape. We, we all we all know what a measuring tape is. We yeah. pull out the rule, you know, the slider, and say, okay, this is what they, a canon used to be a whether it was a long reed or some or some kind of measuring device that says this is the right measurement we need for whatever we're building, where bricks or molds. But there was a standard by which you measured everything against. Yeah. And the canonicity of God's word means that we have we don't have to worry about the the books of the Bible that we have are all canonical. They've met the measurement of this is God's word. I believe this for, for a number of reasons. Number one, again, going back to 2 Peter 1, 20, 19 through 21, I believe that people knew they were writing scripture. I believe they knew it when they were writing it. I don't think it was a surprise like Paul's like, wait, 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 you you like that book of the Bible? Or you like my letter to the Philippians? You want to add it to the Bible? Hey, right. that's cool. Like, I don't think he was thinking that. Yeah. I believe when the authors were writing these books, they knew. We have uh, examples, for example, in 2 Peter um, 3.16. He mentions, he's end of his book, he's saying, hey, be careful from false teachers. Some people try to deceive you and they try to distort the word of God like they do Paul's letters, which can be hard to understand, and other scriptures. So he refers to Paul's letters as scripture. Mm. So we know there's their writings of the New Testament, he compares to, he equates with the level of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, we have another passage in 1 Timothy when Paul, in 1 Timothy 5, I think it's 17 and 18, he quotes both Deuteronomy and Luke in the same passage, to, or same verse to say, this is the authority. Hmm. So we have New Testament authors quoting New Testament books saying, this is canonical. This is this is written. This was not a, um, you know, Dan Brown and his idea that this, you know, the Bible came together all around, you know, Council of Nicaea, and we had to get rid of Mary Magdalene. And uh, that is such a bunch of garbage. Even if we'd never had another, listen, here's what we know. If we did not have any of the Greek manuscripts and all we had were the writings of the church fathers um, quoting scripture. I think we would have everything but four verses of the Bible. It's something very, you know, just magnificent that we have so much writings, whether it's translations of the Bible, the manuscripts of the Bible, the church fathers and their documents, we can test it up against itself. And we know it's been preserved and we know what's scripture, what's not scripture. Um, so canonicity is another one. And then lastly, Number six, the authority of God's word. The Bible makes it clear that it is the authority, that it represents what God, who God is, and what God wants. From the very beginning, 
we see God speaking and saying, this is creating the, the, the world creation with his word. His word has power. We know this, or Ephesians, sorry, Hebrews 4.12. Um, we know that his word reveals who he is. And, and from Mount Sinai, we know that his word gives life and truth. And so we can trust in his word. And the authority of God's word, it's important that we can, you can believe all you want that, okay, that we have a revelation that's without error. Okay, we have revelation that's inerrant, without error. It's inspired. It comes from God. Um, we believe that we can have the all, that's a preserved word, that whatever was given in the origin, original, we still have. But this last one really, Josh, has to do with, am I going to obey it? Hmm. it the authority of God's word is something we can't take um, for granted. And so uh, whether it's 2 Timothy 3, 16, whether it's Matthew 4, 4, Matthew 5, 18, Acts 17, 11, James 2, 8, these are all passages of scripture that relate to the authority of God's word that we can trust in and say, it's not just enough for me to agree with and not a huh, but but this is this is the authority for my life, and I'm going to live by it. So, those are the six major doctrines of bibliology. We're almost out. Is there anything that just pops in your head that maybe I didn't cover? Or maybe you have a question about? Oh boy, there are so many. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you a question going back to the first episode okay. that is meant to be a meta question for the sake of the listener. So you talked about how we're seeing this trend right now where there's a lot of contrast sometimes between mm-hmm. what people believe theologically and their behavior. Mm. Now, there's probably going to be at least one listener who falls in that category, but probably maybe isn't aware of that, isn't mm. like self-aware enough to kind of figure that yeah, out. So I'm wondering, yeah. what are some like uh, warning signs, some some red flags mm. that maybe you might not know it, but you might fall into this category where there is too much contrast between those things and it's yeah. worth kind of reflecting on and figuring out? That's a great question. I think what what's important, I think a good question for every person to ask themselves is, what place does the word of God have in my life? Hmm. And is, do you just kind of look at this Bible as kind of like, you know, um, a devotional book? Like I'm just looking for Mm -hmm. inspiration today. Or is it truly God's word? Is it God's authority in your life that these are not merely suggestions? Um, It's more than just a moral code. It is a story, but it's also, it, it, it compels us to say either to reject or to accept the revelation of God. Yeah. And again, this going back to a first episode, how does this make me worship? Hmm. I think one of the things we've got to do is remember God loves us enough to tell us who he is, hmm. to reveal to us what he's doing, to reveal to us his plan, not just for my life, but for the for the history of the world. And he doesn't hide that. He does, you know, we don't have to figure out, man, what's God doing? No, he's revealed that there might be some specifics, but the the majority and the major parts of human history, he has revealed to us the major ideas of saying, this is who I am. Yeah. This is why I've come to save you. This is how much I love you. And will you live by this? Will you accept this by faith? And so 
I think that we've got to keep remembering it, this. It's not just a, it's not just a resource when we need it. It's a res, It's an authority that we can build our life upon. So, hmm. anyways, um, great question, and and we're out of time. I, I hope this has been a. Um, and enlightening. I hope it's been an encouraging talk to you. I know we kind of give you some big terms, but again, this is what this is. Theology 101. We're giving you, you know, literally weeks of theology class in 20 minutes. And I hope that, I hope that you are, you're drinking from a fire hose and I hope you're enjoying it. But, but uh, if you have questions, you know, we'd love to hear from you. There might be some things we've, we've been talking about um, that you want to ask us about. We have, a, we have an email, lifetalks at lifecharlotte.com. That's lifetalks at lifecharlotte.com. Make sure you shoot us an email. We might do some of these episodes and in the middle just stop and say, hey, we've got some theological questions. Let's dig into them. Don't be afraid to shoot us an email anytime we want. Thanks again for listening to us at Life Talks. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.